Okay, this is part two. We started this series last week, and I love the title. It's called Rules of, of Engagement. I just, I love that phrase. It is a military phrase. Uh, it has to do with the who, what, when, and how uh, forces to be used in combat situations. And, uh, well, what's that have to do with us? Well, we're involved in a spiritual conflict. We're fighting the good fight of faith, and so... Uh, we want to discover some principles and we want to discover some strategies, specifically when we find ourselves stuck between a rock and a hard place. We find ourselves in difficult places. Now, one of the reasons why this series is so important for us is because if you haven't been there yet, you will be there and do that or have been there and done that. Uh, And it will happen again because this is the this is the agenda that God has chosen for the, the people of God uh, by means of, of, of growing in grace and growing in faith and, and growing in spiritual fruitfulness such as patience and perseverance and kindness. And, and all these things are, are developed in us as God is, is more interested in our, in our holiness than he is in our comfort. He's more interested in our becoming conformed to the image of his son than he is... In, in the relief that, that, that might seemingly help us for just a short period of time, God is in this for the, for the, the eternal value. So let me just kind of compress into a couple of uh, short sound bites uh, the introduction last week so that we'll all be on the same page this morning. One of the things that we said last week, one of the first things that happens when you find yourself in a difficult situation and stuck between a rock and a hard place is stay calm. You know, we said, we said, Susie, don't yell. Susie, don't, don't get nervous. Remember that, that illustration that we used for those of you who are here? But one of the most important things is to just stay calm. You know, let the peace of God rule in your heart and in your mind as a believer in Christ. I, there's a song that we used to sing here years ago, and it went something like this. If I hold my peace and let the Lord fight my battles, victory, victory, will be mine. Not only has, has God given to us exceeding great and precious promises, but, but even more than the promises, God has promised himself to be an ever-present help in time of need. And I tell you what, when you discover the presence of God in a time of need, that's priceless, you know, and that is of great value for us. Second thing that we said was that just as we are to resist the devil, the Bible says, and he will flee from us, so we are to resist things like worry, fear, anxiety, foreboding, fretting, you know? We're to have that posture when when, when it immediately comes to try to come upon us to resist the enemy, draw near to God, God will draw near to us. Resist fear, worry, and anxiety, and it will flee from us. So the situation that we began to look at from the scripture was when the children of Israel were stuck between a rock and a hard place. Classic example. They were stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea. Only the, the sea wasn't blue. It was the Red Sea. And, and, and Pharaoh is typified by, by, by Satan who, who is pressing his chariots against the children of Israel as they're stuck between the mountains on the left and on the right, nowhere to go, the Red Sea before them, 
and, and Pharaoh's army with chariots pressing in behind them. That's where we kind of left off last week, and we're going to pick up in that again. But what we said, and this is so important for us, is, that, is to realize that God has designed for us to be exactly where we are. It's God who, who orders the footsteps of the righteous. It's God who in his sovereignty and in his power designs for our good and for his glory, even in the most adverse and difficult of circumstances. So nine plagues have totally decimated Egypt, totally destroyed the gods, the false gods of the Egyptians. Then the 10th plague, the final plague that broke the, the, the proverbial camel's back was the, was the slaying of the firstborn. But Israel was protected because they had the blood of the lamb sprinkled upon the doorpost and the lentil of their homes. And they went out, right? And they went out with power and with great substance, the Bible says, that they literally spoiled the Egyptians. They, 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 they took from the Egyptians silver and gold as they, as they were glad to get rid of them. Now we pick up in this story, in Exodus chapter 14, you can follow along with me, verse 5. It says, when the king of Egypt, that is Pharaoh, was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? Now let me just clarify that verse. It's not that Pharaoh didn't know that they left. He had given them permission to leave, but the permission was only to go out several days and worship Jehovah there, you know, but he thought they were going to come back. Now here's the point. Somebody told them, Pharaoh, they left and they took a right turn and they ain't coming back. So when he discovers that they fled for good, now they're beginning to realize, wait a minute, what have we done? So they said in that verse, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. You know that phrase, you know, follow the money, you know? I mean, that is always the motivation. When people have power and wealth, they don't want to give up power or wealth. And when they realized that their power and wealth was gone because of the, I mean, they were going to have to make bricks now themselves. They were going to have to build their buildings now themselves. So it says this in verse 6. So he had his chariots made ready, and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all of the other chariots of Egypt. And let me just stop here for a minute. The chariots, the 600, th these were the elite forces what, what they might be compared to today is the stealth bombers of the United States. I mean, you know, F-14 planes, you know, uh, the very best of the best uh, mechanism or mechanics that we have. And, and that's what chariots were. They were usually rid by, by three men. One was the driver. The second person in the chariot was simply there to protect the driver. He was there to defend the, the driver. And the third person in the chariot was the one with the, uh, a, with, with, with the weapons, with, with, with the, uh, there's a word I'm looking for, can't find it, just forget about it. I'll know what it is, I'll tell you later. But, but it was the offensive, there it is. He, he, he had the offensive weapons, he had the, the bow and arrows, he had the swords in his hand. Now, it says this, it says in verse 8, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that... You see those two little words, so that? I'm convinced that that phrase, so that, is one of the most important phrases in all of the Word of God. Because there is the design of God. 
God is the one who is hardening Pharaoh's heart so that he might pursue the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them at the camp by, that were camped by the sea. So here's, here's Pharaoh thinking, I've got them trapped like rats. I've got them exactly where they want them, where I want them to be. But God was saying, I've got Pharaoh exactly where I want him to be. This is one of the greatest setups in human history, right? One of the greatest things that's about to take place. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. Now, one of the things that always happens to us whenever we step out of the arena of faith and step into the flesh is that we look with our natural eyes. We see things the way we perceive them to be. And when we stop walking by faith in, in, instead, of, instead of walking by... When, when we start looking at the enemy who is mightier than we are in ourselves, we're going we're gonna to find ourselves in the same terrifying situation just as the children of Israel did. And so it says that they cried out to the Lord. They, they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. Now, this was not a prayer of faith. This was a, this was a pleading of complaint. This was, th- this was, you know, oh me, oh my. It says, verse 11, here's the proof of that. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? What a terrible thing to say. Forgetting all that God did for them in Egypt. All of the plagues that brought destruction upon the false gods. Did they forget all about that? He says, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert? All of these were dishonoring questions that were being posed to Moses and really to the Lord. But Moses, I love it, didn't even address their, their, their questions, said this, Moses said, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. He will bring you today. The Egyptians who you see today, you will never see again. For the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I love one translation says, or it's a paraphrase, says, you need only to be quiet. And sometimes we need to quiet ourselves so that we could see the hand of God at work. What I want you to just notice for a minute was those rapid fire questions that they're asking and, and how dishonoring they were. I want to get back to those questions in a little while, but, but I want to tell you two stories about myself. N- n- number one, I've told this story before, and you'll see why I'm telling you again this story because it's part of my DNA, it's part of my history in God. I was five years old. My arch nemesis. Anthony Pinto, who lived upstairs in, 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 in the building right next door to me. Uh, he's about nine, ten years old. I don't know why this guy hated me, except, except that I could say, looking back now, that it had to have been demonic. I mean, he was a, you know, an un, unknowing or unwilling, you know, uh, tool of the enemy, but I believe that there was a, 
Just as, just as there was an assignment against the life of Jesus, just as there was an assignment against the life of Moses, I believe there was an assignment against my life, and, and probably we could look at your life and say the same thing. So on this particular occasion, he takes my bicycle, my tricycle, right? I'm five years old. He, he, he I don't know, maybe I was I turned around. I don't remember exactly how it was, but he took the bike and he went across the street. Now, obviously, I wasn't allowed to cross the street, right? So he's just kind of riding up and down with my little tricycle, just kind of mocking me and, and tormenting me by the fact that he's there and I'm... I'm on the other side of the street, and I can't do it. But I was getting so angry. I ran across the street, wrestled the bike from him. Because I tell you what, while he was a bully, I, I, you know, I was a tough kid. You know, even at five, I was a tough kid. I got to tell you that. And, and maybe that's, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm to thank Anthony for making me tough because I always fought back. And I wrestled that bike away from him, and I'm, and I'm headed back across the street with my tricycle, right? And I get hit by a car. And I got to tell you, back in 1955 or whatever it was, 53, whatever it was, back in the 1950s, they made cars, it's called steel. They made cars out of steel. They had chrome bumpers that were as heavy as my house, right? I get hit by this car, get knocked into another car that was parked along the side of the, of, of the street, right? My bike is totaled. Right? I am knocked to the ground. Not a broken bone in my body. Didn't break my skin. Didn't have, didn't have lacerations or, or cuts and abrasions. How, how did that happen? I, I, I got to look back at it now and I got to say, say it was God's intervention in my life. Now fast forward, fast forward 45 years, right? I'm now 50 years old. I, and we were here at the church, right? And we were under construction at the time. And there was a lot of craziness that was going on. And I just, I needed to just get away. I needed to prepare some stuff for, for, for upcoming services and, and messages. And, and so I, I, I just got this new book right here. It's called Wilson's Dictionary of Bible Types. And I couldn't wait to break this open and start, see if I could find something good to share with the people. So... So I, I went down to the beach. This was late September, right? No lifeguards on duty. I go down to the beach. I get my little towel, and I lay it down on the sand, and I begin to open up and begin to read, and all of a sudden I get attacked. I get attacked by flies. Uh, I don't know if they were sand flies or they were, they were horse flies, but they were the kind of flies that bite. I mean, they're nasty little suckers. Do I believe it was demonic? The answer is yes. Beelzebub is called the Lord of the Flies for a reason, you know. So I'm getting attacked. So I move my, I move my little towel. I go over to another section of the beach, and I, get, get, I open up the book again, and there's the stinking flies again, and they begin to attack me again. And I said, D -d this is ridiculous. So I, to escape the flies, I go in. It's kind of like going from the frying pan into the fire, you know. I go, I go into the water, and I take a swim. And I'm a pretty good swimmer. And before I realize it, I am caught in a riptide. Now, now it happened to have been that there was a hurricane called Hugo. Some of you might remember that, a hurricane called Hugo. And it was far away. It was like down by Virginia or, or down off of the coast of Florida. But, but the riptides were amazing. And before I realized it, I was probably about 200 yards from shore. 
I'm a pretty good swimmer, and, I'm, and I know how to swim across the current, and I'm swimming across, and I'm swimming back, and, and, and at this point, I'm exhausted, and, and I, I'm, I'm saying to myself, dude, you're in trouble, you know, and it's like my life was flashing before me, and, I, and I'm getting tired, and say, oh, I just can't, I just can't believe I'm going to drown, you know. And I just, I, I just, I prayed as eloquently as Peter did when he began to sink beneath the waves. I said, Lord, help. Help me, Lord. And I, I, can't, I can't tell you how. I don't know how. Except that with, probably within maybe 15 to 30 seconds, I don't know how I got at a distance where I could now put my foot on the ground. I, I felt solid ground beneath me. And I was able to just kind of catch my breath and, and, and able to just kind of, you know, just get that hope back and just a burst of energy came back and I was able, obviously I'm, I'm here, right? Uh, there's someone else that's here and I didn't notice this until afterwards, but there's a fly on the inside of my book that I've kept now for these last uh, 14 years. Uh, and he's a reminder to me. Uh, those two events that took place in my life that I just shared with you are a part of my DNA and my history and God and God's story for me. And what I learned from that experience was blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who has a history of God's intervention in their life. When you have seen God come to your rescue, what, what, what it does is it, is it reminds us, listen, if God has rescued you in the past, if God has showed you grace and favor in the past, that is hope and encouragement for present encouragement and present deliverance. Let me say it this way, that past mercies are cause for, for a present courage. When God has been merciful to you and you can remember and draw back from that, I'll never forget those two events that took place in my life. And those two events in my life were like the Red Sea miracle that took place in the life of the children of Israel. It was the go-to reminder of the prophets and the psalmist who would, who would remind the people of God, remember what God did for you when he parted the Red Sea, when he caused the walls of the Red Sea to stand up like two great walls and you walked across on dry ground. Listen, 800 years a thousand years later, the psalmist and the prophet Isaiah would, would still bring up the Red Sea like it happened only, only weeks ago because it was in their spiritual DNA. And I want to tell you that some of these things that had happened to us maybe, maybe 25 years ago, 30 years ago, become a part of our spiritual DNA that we are to bring back to our remembrance when we find ourselves in a present time of help. Look at, look at this verse of Scripture, 9-11. When, when you think of 9-11, we think of emergency, right? 9-11. I want you to look at this verse in Nehemiah 9 and 11. Nehemiah says this. He says, you divided the sea before them so that, there's that phrase again, so that there was a design here, so that they passed through on dry ground, but you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone in the mighty waters. That is a, an important verse of Scripture to remember that, that just as Nehemiah hundreds of years later spoke about that, that, that miracle as though it happened just yesterday was a reminder to the children of Israel 
and it, and it was to never be forgotten. Look at Isaiah 63, verse 12. Again, about a thousand years after the fact. Isaiah says, you sent his glorious, or he, excuse me, who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand, who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown. To gain for himself. See, what God was in this for was for his glory. That his name might be glorious in the hearts of his people. Now, when God's name is glorious in our sight, the people that know their God, the Bible says they shall be strong. Knowing that God is glorious on behalf of his people gives us the confidence and the encouragement that we need in a time of trouble. David was someone who, who understood this principle of having a history in God. When David was facing Goliath, we all know the story, right? When David was facing Goliath, and they told him, David, you can't fight against this guy. He's a man of war, and you're just a boy. What did David do? Say, oh, yeah, I guess you're right, and go home? No. David drew back from his history in God. He said, listen, when I was taking care of my father's sheep, a lion came down, and it took one of the lambs. And I rose up against the lion, and I grabbed it, and I, and I slew it. And then a bear came among my father's sheep again, and I, and I killed that bear. Listen, he says, the Lord who delivered me from the poor of the lion and the bear will also deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, what God did for me in the past, God will do for me in this present circumstance as well. So learn how to draw back from, from, from having a history in God, because when you know the faithfulness of God, that becomes strength in your life. Now, remember I said to you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just make reference to those questions. Remember those rapid-fire questions that the children of, of Israel were, were, were asking? You know, why did you bring us out here? Was it to die in the wilderness? These horrible questions that were asked. It was the wrong thing to say. It was the wrong question to ask. And let me tell you something. When we find ourselves in times of trouble, you might say, well, Pastor, it's only natural to say why. Why me? You know, how come? And, and, and how quickly can I get out of this mess? Can I show you something that there's a better way, there's a better approach? And if we could learn this better approach, it becomes a paradigm shift in our experience. And you'll never look at problems again the same. Can I tell you what that simply is? It simply is this. Instead of asking why me, and instead of asking how soon can I get out of this situation, ask how can God be glorified in this situation? How can this situation possibly bring honor and glory to God? I think that's what the guys did this week. I think that's what Doug did in leading a, a group of 20 and then maybe 15 and then 20 over the last several days. They said, how can God be glorified in this horrible situation where these trees have fallen down? Well, well, let's take this as an opportunity. Listen, th this is more than uh, making something good out of a bad situation. This is more than, than, than taking lemons and making lemonade out of it. Th this is living for the glory of God. I, I told Doug this morning found a, a letter uh, in uh, the mailbox yesterday from uh, one of the people that the guys 
helped, and I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, this says, and it's addressed to the parents and to the adults of the lives of the teenagers who helped after the storm. Now, they weren't all teenagers. There were some old people, too, like Doug. <laughs> she says, uh, just want to thank you for what a great group. Their kindness, not just to strangers in need, but to each other, was so moving. Their sense of spirit, their smiles, be proud of them. May God bless them and you always. Thank you again, Debbie. Uh, You've touched people because you took a situation that was bad and you said, how can God be glorified in this? Can I tell you that that was the, the modus operandi of Jesus? That's the way that Jesus lived. You remember uh, in John chapter 9, the disciples ask the wrong question, which is, which is what I'm talking about. They, they came across a man who had been blind from birth. And, and they said, Jesus, did this man sin or did his parents sin that he had been born blind? Now, now think of the ramifications of that. Can a, can a child in the womb sin that he should be born blind? I mean, think about Jesus was gracious to say, to, say to, to not say, guys, that's really the dumbest thing I ever heard, you know. But, it, but, he, but he said, neither he nor his parents sinned, but that the power of God might be displayed in his life. And then Jesus went about to heal him. That the glory of God might be made manifest in his life. Two chapters later, two chapters later, John records that an urgent message came from Mary and Martha. And and it was, come quickly, the one whom you love is sick. But Jesus stayed purposely several more days until he knew that Lazarus was dead. Why? Because this is what he said. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but that the glory of God might be manifested. Jesus looked at everything through the lens of what is it going to bring? How is is this situation going to bring glory and honor? to God. Let me tell you, Jesus sees things differently. And so we, to be Jesus people, must begin to see things differently. One chapter later, John chapter 12, and Jesus says this, my soul, listen, knowing what's about to take place, this is the last week of his life. John chapter 12, he records this. John says, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came into the world. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. And the crowd that heard it said it thundered. And others said an angel spoke to him. And I don't have time to go further into this, but Jesus said this voice was heard not for my sake, but for your sake. But they didn't catch it. They didn't didn't discern it. And it didn't benefit them because they didn't have ears to hear what God was saying. But what God was saying was that this is for my glory. This is for my honor. One of the most excruciating weeks of anyone's existence, Jesus was about to face, and he didn't say, how can I get out of this? How can I avoid this? What he said was, God, how could you be glorified in this? Israel didn't get it. They didn't understand 
what God was doing. In fact, the psalmist gives us an insight into this. Look with, with me at Psalm 106, verse 7. The psalmist, hundreds of years, says, Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They didn't get the miracles. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies. And that is so important. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a terrible thing, you know, to, to get old and to become senile and to have dementia or to forget, you know. But I tell you, what is worse is when you have your full faculty, but you forget the things that God has done for you in the past. And it just kind of leaves you. That's far worse. He says, but they rebelled by the sea, by the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his namesake, that he might make his mighty power known. He saved them. They didn't deserve to be saved. Folks, we didn't deserve to be saved. But God did it so that he might make his mighty name known. And can I tell you that the, that the symbolism is so clear that just as the Red Sea parted, so the cross was all about the greatest thing in human history. Some of you might remember the phrase rope-a-dope. Remember rope-a-dope? Muhammad Ali. You know, I, I watched those Frazier Ali fights back in the day, back in the 70s, and so some of the greatest fights. Muhammad Ali used to do this thing called the rope-a-dope. Was, was when you were on the ropes, n- n- normally for a boxer, it was, you know, you were, you were on your way out. You were on your way down, right? But what he used to do was he used to purposely bounce onto the ropes, and he used to suck his opponents in. And, and as a result of that, he would come back and come back strong. And here, God was giving the greatest rope-a-dope in human history. Not, not, not just with Pharaoh at the Red Sea, but with the cross of Jesus Christ. He was suckering in his enemies. For had the princes of this world known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. What, what God was doing was he was destroying his enemies. He was making an end of sin for us. He was destroying principalities and powers by the triumph of his cross. I love what Matthew Henry says. He says, God sometimes raises difficulties in the way of his people so that, so that, there's that phrase again, he may have the glory of subduing them and helping his people over them. God does everything for a purpose and with design. And that miracle by the Red Sea, there was a purpose in mind to clearly display God snatching his people from the jaws of death. And so likewise, God snatches us like brands out of the fire. But you know what? God doesn't always deliver us the way we want to be delivered. You know, uh, he doesn't, you know, he gives us lights, but he doesn't give us, you know, fully, you know, the, the heating system working. But the guy's coming in a couple hours, so we'd be okay for tonight. But, but, but think about it. God is never early, but God is never late. You know, when God comes, he comes in the nick of time. You know what the nick of time is? Think about this wheel with all these teeth, right? Each, each of those little teeth that, that, that turns the, 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 the dial, that turns the clock, is, is, called, is called a nick. And God just comes in the nick right, right before it seems to be too late for us. You see, we, we, we want deliverance before we're ever cast into the lion's den. You know, before, we, before our feet hit the ground. But... But if God delivers us before we get into the lion's den, will we ever know the power of God to shut the mouth of the lions? You see? So be patient. 
and put your trust in God. What I want you to take away from this message this morning is simply this. Be more concerned with God's glory than for your relief. Be more concerned because that's what Jesus was all about. Be more concerned with God's glory than your comfort. And when you do that, let me tell you something. You will glorify God. And God says that I will honor those who honor me. Now, in closing, I I just want to look at that, that, that last verse that we read, the last two verses that we read. So verse 13, it says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace, or you shall be still. You know, uh, the prefiguring of this whole miracle, it was the go-to miracle of the Old Testament, but the go-to miracle of the New Testament is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where God accomplishes so much no human mind could have ever imagined that God would have provided himself a sacrifice to remove our sins, to, to make an end of sin, to, to, to vindicate his own holiness and righteousness and in the process reconcile us unto God through the death of his son. God has accomplished all this for us and he asks us to trust him and to follow him. No human mind could have ever conceived this, but Messiah in this, in this desire to glorify God fulfilled the the most ancient prophecy of all and in the process he he crushed the head of that old serpent the devil and ushered in the power of an everlasting kingdom ushered in the power of everlasting life vanquished uh, death and immortality and, and sin this old testament miracle is such a pattern and such a type for us of what Jesus has done for us at the cross. And so what we're to do now, not like the children of Israel, remember what God did at the Red Sea, but we are constantly are to rem- remind ourselves what God did for us at the cross. Because what God did for us at the cross, could there be anything more that he could have possibly done for us? Or as Paul put it, if God spared not his only begotten son, but delivered him up freely for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And the point this morning is this, that when we start having this paradigm shift, this looking through the lens of everything is for the glory of God, we'll begin to see the motivations of our life honor God in such a way that God in turn will honor us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the grace of God. I thank you this morning for the power of God that is released on our behalf at the cross, at the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death, where you destroyed principalities and powers. And so we want to be a people that live for your glory. We want to be a people, Lord Jesus, that, that have your glory in view. So I pray this morning that there will be a just a, house full of encouragement today that some of us even this morning as we heard this message are are remembering how God rescued us from accidents he rescued us from sicknesses he rescued us in a variety of ways those those high water mark 
experiences in our life, they are not to be forgotten. They are to be brought up as the part of the DNA in which, God, we see your faithfulness, we see your gracious kindness to us, and therefore we are encouraged by it. And we all said together, amen.